Hi, this is Graham Brown and welcome to the Excel Podcast. The Excel Podcast is a platform for the bigger conversations about leadership in the 2020s. Who's leading? How are they leading? And what stories do they have to share? Through the stories of leaders, we'll address the big challenges of our times from the era of AI to the Asian century to nurturing a new generation of entrepreneurs. If you're enjoying these conversations, subscribe to the podcast at xlpodcast.org. This is the XL Podcast. Welcome. This is a conversation about leadership. Joining me, uh, somebody I've learned a lot from in the short time that we've known each other, a couple of years we've got to know each other. We've met in the studio in Singapore, but we've had a number of conversations and done business together. Lee Hackett, welcome to the show. Hey, Graham. Yeah. Glad to be here. Good to have you here. I want to kick off and the correct choice of words there. My dad took me to Fratton Park, Portsmouth FC versus York. And I'd looked up the date just in preparation for this call, 24th of March, 1979. So it's like 40 years ago was my first ever football game as a spectator. He took me to the terraces back in those days. And I didn't really know much about what was going on. It's fourth division, I think it was back then. But I know football is something close to your heart. So I'm roughly thinking about the same time, 1979, you would have been a young lad. What was your connection with football back then? Oh, um, yeah, look, football's a, a now a huge part of, of my life. And I guess then was always the central, ever since I can remember, has been the central point, um, the focus for everything. Um you know, I wasn't very good at school um, at all, but I was good at football, and and that gave me uh, that gave me something. And coming from a city like Liverpool, um, which is crazy about football, then mm. it was everything you did every day, um, constantly, all day. So it, it's always been a huge part of of my life. What was your earliest memory of football? Where did it come from? Was it your dad who was crazy football fan or where did that influence come from yeah great question i think you know the my you know you always supported who and you'll know this you supported who your dad supported um that was the yeah and in in liverpool it was either liverpool or or everton and it was never going to mm. be everton um i guess my earliest memory would be you know watching a kind of football on the tv and just kicking a ball around the house uh, and then kind of graduating out of, you know, playing football on the street. Um, and it was, as I said, it was it was literally just everything you did all day. Um, mm. And I had three brothers older. Um, and so it was, you know, I was, you know, pretty quick. I was playing football with them from a very young age. And, um, you know, that probably helped me in my development because I was getting bashed around by, um, you know, three brothers who, who, who didn't want to give you an inch, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had an older brother, just two years older. So it was just old enough to be close enough, but yet super competitive. I would compete at everything. So like my passion for football started, I suppose, all sports, just being super competitive from an early age with him. And I what we get on really well now, but back then it was like, you know, it meant everything to compete mm. against each other and I'd play against his mates as well in the field. But I mean, obviously you took it to a different level. You turned pro 
But I imagine that that must have been that didn't happen later in life, did it? I mean, you must have been, uh, you know, in the system, playing with a view that you were going to be a, a you know a main A team player like before you were ten years old. I mean, when does it start? Yeah, I think it was different then, uh, you know, than it is now. I think, you know, I've got a son, he's 13 and and he's kind of in the system. Um, and and that starts much earlier now, I think. But, what, you know, at that time, you were playing for the school, you were playing Sunday League, Saturday League, um, and then you kind of graduate into playing for the local area, um, which was Liverpool schoolboys at that time, the Merseyside, and you know, and you just kind of like everything. You, there's another layer, there's another level, and you don't realise it at the time because you know you're a kid, right? So you know, no one, no one has that kind of insight or that kind of maturity at that level. It was very informal. Uh, it was all about winning, right? You know, I, I, I it, everything was about winning. Mm. Um, every game, every battle. Um, every you know uh, contest on the pitch, um, and I come from, I guess you know I, I come from an area in Liverpool which was pretty tough, and you know so the physicality that you were exposed to at that age was you know um, you know it, it was a lesson, and mm. uh, and 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 that for me was a you know a, a kind of graduation, another level, another level up to another level. And every time you stepped up, you kind of had to adapt because you would come up against other players up until a point where you're then playing in older ages. So you kind of, you, you, the only way you're going to get the competition is if you're playing, if you're 10 and you're playing against 12-year-olds. Um, and I was pretty tall at the time, at that age. So physicality, I was much stronger than normal you know, the boys my age. So to get the competition, you had to step up and play it at, at an older age. And that was what I was doing pretty much all through my teenage years. Where did that go? Did you get into the academy system? I don't know if it would be called an academy back then. I mean, this is kind yeah. of a bit of a later development. It would have been like the, the youth team, wouldn't it? Or the boys yeah. team. How did it work? And you got into Wigan eventually, didn't you? So what was the roadmap for you like back then? Yeah, and and this is this is this is uh, I think um, you know uh, life's like you know like what I would, what I've learned from that is you know, life's about just being in the game. So you know the more you play, the more exposure you can get to potentially being scouted. Now at the time, that's the way it worked. You would play football, and scouts from the clubs hmm. um, would would come and watch. And you might build up a reputation and they would then invite you down. And I was actually at Everton. You know, that was the first, my kind of, I think I was about maybe 12, uh, which is the age they started to bring players in. Uh, I was invited to play the football game. I was then a scout, then went to speak to the manager and said, hey, do you want to come down and do some training? And you go down for a period of time and you kind of do some training and they keep you around, but there was nothing formal. Um, you couldn't sign, I think, any any sort of anything formal to you were like 14, 15. So mm. it was all pretty informal. Um, and then yeah, you know, I was I was playing, I was at Liverpool, uh, similar situation, and I played against Wigan and um uh and then I, I got asked to go up to Wigan and uh and and ultimately then ended up signing for them at 16. 
How was that for you back then? I mean, 16 years old, like you said, school wasn't an option really because you, you it's all or nothing, isn't it? You signed for Wigan. You must have felt that you were it amongst your peers, the people that you grew up with, especially in a place like Liverpool. There yeah. really aren't many options to get out of the city, are there? I mean, either you're a once in a, a century pop band or you're a footballer. That's the only really options for oh. kids growing up there, right? So you, you made it at that stage at 16. Yeah, it didn't feel like it, um, I, I'll be honest. I, I don't think I had that kind of self-awareness at that time. In fact, I know I didn't. Mm. Um, I think it, it just felt kind of natural. Um, I remember getting invited to sign and, and it was kind of like, okay, you know, it was, um, I'll give it a go. And But you're right, you know, at that time, there was no other options to get out of the city and, and school was never, you know, and, and I had parents who were fantastic parents, but they, they never really kind of knuckled me down to doing any schoolwork. And I was always out playing football anyway. And, you know, my dad used to say to me, look, you, you know, just put everything into what you do. And he knew schoolwork was never going to be that. And so it was kind of a natural step. It didn't feel big uh, at the time. Um, it kind of just kind of naturally went into it. Yeah. I imagine at 16, though, you were probably thinking that you start at Wigan, you then get a couple of years run out at Wigan, then graduate up to the bigger clubs, right? That was the plan, I guess. Everybody was competing at that level then. And then you have to step up to a new level. It gets more and more competitive. But you had, a, I mean, how long was your spell at Wigan? Yeah, so I was there for three, three and a half years hmm. um, at Wigan. So two-year apprenticeship and then stayed along for... Um, a little bit longer than that to kind of, you know, test you out and play in a pl- as a pro and then went at a couple of loans to lower league clubs. Um, but yeah, I think that that's the, 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 the kind of mentality at that time. And even now was, look, you had a better chance of making it if you kind of stepped down a little bit. You had to, you know, excel. I, I played against uh when i was apprenticeship i played against people like beckham i played against people like skulls i played mm. against the neville brothers and you know they were uh, they were on another level right you know it, it, you uh particularly skulls so to go to the big clubs liverpool manchester united you had to be at another level so it was the, the logic was step down um and you've got a better chance and then come back up the leagues. Um, very few players do it, did it. Uh, I didn't um, in the end, um, but that was the logic of the decision you were taking at the time. Hmm. And did you get injured at the end of your career? I mean, that's quite short, isn't it? It Three is, yeah. It is. No, it's it's it, it's it's more of a, uh, no, I wasn't injured. I think it was more just a case of um, it had run its course hmm. and... Um, I kind of, I've always said, and this is, you know, this may be me being a little bit melancholy with it, but from a point of view of if I knew then what I kind of know now, if I had that mentality, um, that, the, you know, determination, then it might have been different. I think I had the assets to do it. I just maybe didn't have the mentality. And I think, you know, this is the, this is the thing with any sport at a younger age, the pressure, um, it, it becomes, um, it, it's not, you know, it, it's not enjoyable. 
So, you know, football to me, when I was probably starting off in the early years, um, was all about enjoyable. It was about winning. But then when you become professional, like anything, there's good and bad bits to it. And you have to be able to cope with that. And I don't think I coped with it particularly well. Um, and it kind of kind of come to a natural end. It was it was something that I, okay, I need to move on because maybe this isn't going to work out. And I think the the other part of it is, I, I thought, okay, I'll go and do something else, and then what I'll do is I'll keep playing football and I'll get back in. Hmm. But quite quickly, then you know, other things take take over. Yeah, yeah, especially at the speed you're operating at when you're playing day in day out and training. As soon as you step out of that loop. The, the gap's apparent, isn't it? What, what do you think makes... I mean, you mentioned people like Scholes and Beckham. I mean, obviously, let, let's put the talent aside. And to some degree, everybody who gets to pro level has talent. And yet, what gets them to the next level? What is it? Is it the people around them that gets them to the next level? Is it luck? Is it the fact they can suck it up and endure that discomfort that you talked about? You know, the fact that it's not enjoyable anymore and they've just got to suck it up and do as they're told. And what, what do you think gets them to that next level that makes them stand out? Because I'm sure at that elite level, the talent level differences are percentages, small percentages, right? Yeah. Why, why is somebody like, you know, like a Scholes or a Beckham, when there could be, for every one of them, thousands as good as technically who don't make it? Yeah. No, I, I think there's two things, and one, the first one leads into the the other. So, set the talent aside, um, and that is important. Um, but you've then got to use that talent, and I think we've all probably seen people with amazing talents who've never used it. So, um, so you've got that talent, and that's your basis. But I think you've got to be able to have the mentality to deal with the pressure, and. You know, the players that I played with that have gone on to have longer careers, those players that, you know, with exceptional talent like Scholes, you know, Steven Gerrard at, at, at Liverpool, these kind of players, they they make the most of that. So they can, first of all, they deal with the pressure. That pressure that they deal with allows them to be consistent. And I play with some players that were not the most talented uh, in the group, they were not the you know the most technically gifted, but they were just constantly level-headed. Every day, they did uh, just enough, just good enough, and they just kind of were able to do that on a consistent level. And I think, you know, in my own personal career, I was either fantastic um, or I was terrible, hmm. and and I think that consistency. Um, you know, compounded over time um, is is a huge, huge benefit. And um, you know, just a, a funny story, but I kind of there was a I played, uh, which it's, a, it's an example of, of of mentality and being able to deal with the pressure. But I played against, I was playing for Wigan against Oldham, and um, in the FA Youth Cup. So this is the FA Cup, but for the youth teams, and. Uh, scored two goals, first half, come off a half time, we're 2-0 up. And my coach at the time said, look, um, keep doing what you're doing. The England coach, which would have been under 18s at the time, um, is in the stands. You're gonna you you potentially get a call up. And 
uh, I was taken off 20 minutes into the second half mm-hmm. because I simply could not deal with that kind of pressure. Um, and I think that ultimately for me is the, is, you know, if you want to get to the elite level in anything, you have to be able to deal with pressure and still perform. Yeah. I mean, it's said, isn't it, that champions are made on their off days and the, in the off season as well, that they can churn out results even when they don't have the love for what they do. They've One got that consistency. And we, we've seen that it's across, across everything, isn't it? Sport, business. They can deliver consistency. I wonder as well, like, I mean, I've got to know you over the last couple of years and we've had some good conversations and we haven't talked a lot about football, but we talked a lot about business as well. And you've obviously got an astute business mind and I'm not saying that footballers don't, but it's not encouraged, is it, in in some respects that there's there's no need for it really. But if you look at, for example, the history of, pro footballers after football it's the the numbers don't look great do they i mean unless you're sort of a gary lineker or a beckham and you've got a career in the public eye there are a number of examples where you know you've taken the structure away from their life and you know with the exception of maybe a few i mean you've got like eric Cantona who retired at 30 you know, how many footballers can sort of do it on their terms like that? Or you've got a Teddy Sheringham who really, you know, made it all the way by staying super fit and then went into management. But there are a number, I mean, looking at some of the data that, you know, firstly, there's the health issues. I think there was a, a study that's, I'm just reading the data here. I'm looking at my numbers. 34% of former players over 40 had osteoarthritis. So, you know, that, that sort of training for years and years either had left them with sort of, you know, like some inherent issues or injuries, or it meant that going from training day in, day out to not meant that the shock to the system was too severe. And then you've got even, I mean, examples like David James, for example, you know, he, you had uh, a highly paid pro footballer who was a model as well. And, you know, England captain and then declaring himself bankrupt it's like, you know, you can have that structure and that success, but being able to transfer that outside where everything changes and the rules changes, a lot of them seem to suffer or struggle, don't they? And I'm just wondering, like, maybe you had that already and that's why you weren't 100% in the game and yet you had this ability to adapt out outside of it when you realize actually this isn't the future path I'm going to take. Yeah, no, it's it's a um I definitely come from that era where, you know, the the kind of footballers would come to the end of the career, they wouldn't be paid the kind of money that footballers get paid now and even in the top leagues, and they would, you know, struggle. Um because there was nothing for them to do. Um, you know, I there's family I have family members who are also footballers and premiership footballers and um you know, without going into the details, you know, kind of struggled also with that. Um, I think a lot of it would depend on to do with age. I think w- when I come out of the game, I was very young. So still, mm-hmm. I think if, you, if you're if you in the game and you come out of it at 30, at that time, I, I you know, I don't, I, I think, you know, footballers at that time used to open things like pubs, right? Which yeah. is not a great, not a great business. The worst thing to do, yeah. Exactly, yeah, because they got that pent up 
you know, kind of, um, you know, they've, they've been very disciplined through the life because you have to be disciplined. Um, and particularly when you're a teenager, you know, discipline doesn't come kind of naturally. So I think it's uh, that pent up um, kind of um, demand for, you know, maybe just living a different life at that time. I think now it's very different because, you know, there's much more education around it. There's much more money, which gives you much more choice. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, and I, that, that stat you've just said there about osteo, um, you know, arthritis. arthritis. Yeah, yeah. Look, I fall into that category because I've got that in my shoulders and, um, right. and that, you know, comes from, you know, just uh, a lot of beating yourself up on a daily basis and it has, it takes a toll. And if you're doing that from a very young age and then I kind of carried on fitness, you know, fitness has always been a part of my life. Then, you know, the the kind of surgeon I spoke to about my shoulders was, look, you know, this is just simply back to old injuries Mm. and um, that never repair because you never really give yourself a chance to repair. Um, So I think, yeah, it's a a different era now than it was then. But And and also the, the psychological side of it, you know, depression. If I go back to playing football and I remember some of the situations and some of the players I played with and some of the people I know now you know that they were seriously suffering with depression at the time but at that time it was you didn't really think about it like that now obviously there's much more awareness rightly so well it's not so long ago we go back and we think about people like Paul Merson and Tony Adams coming out in public talking about these mental health issues and that was really a beginning, wasn't it? It was a very tough man environment, wasn't it? That you got to man up, you know, harden up. So talking about suffering or these kind of things in a in an emotional way must have been hard, isn't it? Especially with your teammates who, you know, maybe don't want to hear it. I, I'm always sort of curious as well, like this sort of transition phase that anybody goes through in life where you make a tough decision to take a new path, especially, I mean, you must have been what, just in your early twenties, right? Mm, yeah. When you made a, a conscious decision that you were going to do something else. And I, I wonder what that would have been like that you, it's not just your decision as well. I mean, imagine a lot of people were vested in you. Like people thought that you were going to be the next big thing and you we're going to be, you know, the kids you played football with on the street thought you were going to go places. And now like you're 20, just at the cusp of your career, you made a change. How was that for you? Was there a lot of rationalizing that you had to do internally? Was it an easy decision for you? And what came next for you after pro football? Yeah, it was, it was an easy decision. I think at the time I was kind of relieved um, because when you do something for a long period of time, you you definitely want to take a break from it and there was no breaks you know um and he de- i definitely even felt like okay i you know I, I want to go in a different direction i want to give it i want to come back to football maybe but i want to go in a different direction i think i've kind of always had a gift i just don't really care what people think um and i do see it as a gift um because i think you know people care too much about what other people think. So my decision, you know, I was I was disappointed, but that may have lasted a day. And it was really about 
okay, what do I do next? And and how do I get myself? Because at the time I wanted to earn money and I needed to earn money. And I certainly didn't have a, you know, a detailed plan of how I was going to do it. I just, you know, I kind of, I was living at home with my parents at the time. I kind of, you know, my dad made sure that I, you know, kept my fitness up because he would literally drag me out of bed and say, right, you run to the job center and uh, run back to the job center. And I had to do that twice a day. Um, so, and I, and quite quickly I got a job and, and, um, and, and that kind of next step for me was, I, w- I think from a, you know, from an early age, I was, o- I've always been quite entrepreneurial. So even while I, w- while I was playing football, I had jobs. I was, you know, paper rounds, milk rounds. Um, you know, I was, when I was playing football, I was selling mobile phones, um, so the kind of I was inquisitive about business, and um, I was I was very lucky. I, I, I got a job relatively quickly, and it gave me exposure into business, and and I made the most of it from there. What did you do? So the first job I got out of football was working for a, an electrical wholesaler, and um, in Liverpool, and it was kind of doing a bit of everything. So it was like you know driving the van. Uh, answering the phones, um, all of those kind of things. And and then I, I quite quickly graduated into sales. And I, I kind of had a natural mm. knack for uh, understanding people, being able to relate to people. Um, and I kind of quickly graduated into sales. And then I was literally just, you know, right, what's my next step? You know, and I, it wasn't conscious, but during football, as I mentioned before, it's always about leveling up. Right, you know, who can I now play for? Can I go and play at a higher level? So as soon as I had any success in that job, I wanted to move on to the next job, more money, more responsibility, which I craved. And and I think in any business, if you can if you can not be a problem and what you're willing to take on responsibility and put yourself out there, then you know, you're gonna give you're gonna give yourself the best opportunity. I love the fact you started in sales as well. That was how my business career started. And I feel that sometimes entrepreneurs, or especially some some entrepreneurs or business people may look at sales in the pejorative, a bit of a dirty end to the business. But yet, you know, I remember I came back from Japan in my 20s and all I knew was I wanted to start a business. And I moved to London because that's what you did if you were in your 20s. You thought, mm-hmm. I'd go and take opportunity. I was living in, you know, before that, before I moved to Japan, I was living in Portsmouth. So, you know, you can imagine what kind of job opportunities I had there, which are pretty limited. So, I moved, made my way to London. Didn't have a clue. I knew I wanted to start a business. I looked, it was literally looking in the paper and looking at ads and phoning around you know, I could become an estate agent. There was always jobs being estate agents. And I found a just tiny little ad and it said, you can start your own business, phone this number. But I phoned this number and they said, come in for a presentation. And there was a company and it was based in uh, Tottenham Court Road in Center Point, that big tall building right on the top of the station, Tottenham Court Road, 24th floor. So I was like impressed on the 24th floor of the the office they brought me up there and everybody's wearing suits and there's like everybody on the phones and there's there's buzzing and people like shouting and i thought yeah this is it what am i doing what am i doing and they took me into this room and said uh right this is the plan we're gonna 
um, sell these products and we're going to sell them to all these people and you can make a lot of money. And I was surrounded by all these people who were like super ambitious. And I thought, yeah, this is my home. This is my place. What have I got to do? What have I got to do? He says, right, this is what you have to do. You have to get a phone book. <laughs> you have to make 120 calls a day. And I was new to it. I didn't even know. I didn't know what sales was. And I thought, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can work harder than the next guy. I had no experience. I didn't know anything about business. I didn't even know. You know, I came from a kind of a background where if you're an entrepreneur, it meant you were kind of like a plumber or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Those, those are the self-employed people that I knew, not people who started businesses and exited. So I didn't have any reference points. This was the only foothold I could get into the world of starting a business. So this company, which I started was, I don't know if you've you seen the movie Boiler Room. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it was like that. You know, you we would have... They would. I had some really good mentors, and we can talk a bit about mentoring as well, and how important that is in our journeys. Right? It's uh, the, this guy who was like an older pro sales guy. He taught me, you know, like what I needed to know, and he taught me that you know you could do this. There were all these companies in London, and you could call. Like if you picked, if you stayed in the office till six o'clock at night when everybody else was leaving, you could phone the these automated voicemail systems right you know you'd phone up so you'd start with a big company like i don't know ge so you'd pick the main switchboard number then you'd add a one yeah. and it'd go beep lee hackett is not available please leave a message so you'd write down lee hackett and the phone number and it'd go beep number two and you get somebody else's name so i would stay to like 10 o'clock at night just going through all the voicemail boxes of these big companies writing down their names and when people talk about sales, it's like, that's a start, isn't it? It's like, sometimes it's pretty unglamorous, but the skills you learn, the work ethic you learn, the ability to connect with people, you know, I'm still using those today. I mean, how oh, is it for you? Look, uh, my, my view on this is, is there's a snobbery around sales. You know, that's what I would call it. it it's a... And, uh, you know, if you look at the different functions within a business, um, you know, finance or marketing or, you know, uh, human resources that, you know, that often sales is looked at and uh, as a almost a kind of second grade citizen. And it is snobbery, really, because I think a lot of people, I don't want to be seen as a salesperson. But, it, you know, for me, and maybe I'm biased and I think you're, you know, maybe we're both biased, right? But you know the, the, one of the fundamental skills of um the fundamental skill uh in growing a business is being able to sell yeah and without a doubt, 100%. you know you, you, if you if you can't do that then you know you're going to need to get someone who can because you know you're never going to be able to grow the business and uh, and i've seen so many examples of that in my own career I think it's important to understand everything and I definitely, you know, like, like I think you do, I see myself as a generalist now, probably more than, and I've turned that hopefully into a skill. Um, but sales is absolutely fundamental. And, and I think at that time, you know, when you were starting out in your career and I was starting, it was a, it was a kind of natural step in and you could make the most of it. And then you get in a business and then you kind of travel around and look, you know, I'll give you an example. My daughter is, uh, she's 19. She she leaves university next year. And, you know, I, I kind of, 
um, I sat down with her and, you know, particularly that during this period and said, look, you know, the, the job market's not going to be what it is, you know, but really what, what kind of, what you want to get into and, you know, what you want to, and uh, what you want to do, uh, you know, wh- wh- where do you want to go? And I, and I, my advice to her was, look, you know, you can't go wrong if you're looking to go into sales because it gives you the fundamental basics of how a business operates and it's a great place to start, to start. But I do see a general snobbery uh in particularly in the in the b2b world around sales and sales as a as a skill and it is a skill like like everything else do you, i mean that's great advice for your daughter by the way that's the kind of advice that i wish i had when i was starting out you just got to kind of find your own path though through your own mistakes do you think that that kind of snobbery you talk about is because sales is a little bit brutal it's a bit raw isn't it there's no I mean, if you're not good at sales, you're not good at sales. You can't hide that fact, can you? Unless there's certain types of salespeople who really are just check collectors, aren't they? The the company's done the selling for them. But yeah. the tough frontline sales where you're knocking on doors or you're yeah. doing the numbers, there's no hiding is there. No, no. And, and, and look, I've never, I can never, I've never done the kind of double glazing salesman type role and knocking on, on doors and going around. I've never done that. I was, I, I, I kind of come in at a level which was definitely B2B sales. And, but yeah, you have to find your own route. And, that, and that's what I said to my daughter don't try and plan out um, what you're going to do in 10 years and five years, right? Just get into something. Get into something which is, you know, you think might work and then find out your way. And I think sales is a is a great way to do that. And I think she's got the characteristics, um, you know, of what a salesman needs. And I think, you know, it, it's interesting with sales because if I look at marketing, which is the other space that I'm in, marketing is a bit like the fitness world. Um, it's kind of factions now you know you've got so many elements of marketing specialisms um you know where it used to be just fitness and now there's crossfit and there's you know f45 and there's you know uh you know the uh uh the, the weightlifting world uh, you know there's so many different ways to do it so many different programs and but in the end it's all the same thing right and um, but with sales interestingly enough it kind of hasn't diluted mm. into factions it's still quite pure um and i like that if i'm honest um mm. and and i think that is you know uh, an interesting dynamic particularly in the world we're moving into or the way we are where you know digitization of sales um is is and i like it has done in marketing and disruption around that and how businesses deal with it but i, I yeah look i'm a salesman at heart i'm proud of it um you know, and, and and you know, I think it's it's a uh, it's a very very important skill, the number one skill in growing uh, your own business, if that's the plan. Yeah, I always advise people when they ask me starting out the same as what you said to your daughter. If somebody asked me, I, you know, I've mentored startups founders or I've mentored people who wanted to start their business, students, and they ask me, how do I get started? And they think there's a magic bullet. They think there's a you know, they can take a course and something. And certainly the technical knowledge can help, but it's the selling, like learn selling because like you said, you get access to a lot of other people, ideas. You'll break through a lot of comfort 
zone barriers as well and grow as an individual. And I think as well, you'll get access to, you have the option to step up as well. And I'm curious how that happened to you because, you know, you obviously with your background coming out as a professional footballer and all the people you knew there, and you've you mentioned your dad as well being a, a driving force and getting you down to the job center. Then you get this job, you know, in uh, wholesale or electrical and, you know, uh, who or what for you sort of mentored you to the next level? Because obviously you had this base in sales, but you had this curiosity about other things. You kind of need somebody in that picture, don't you, to sort of help you get to the next level and say, hey, Lee, you know, young Lee, you yeah. should think about this, right? Because in sales, you can just do that year in, year out. You could, you know, be selling you know, like an estate agent, you could do that for 20 years quite successfully, right? And not have to know anything about any other parts of the business, right? Yet you got to this next level. I always think in that sort of journey, there's a guide or somebody has appeared at some point and helped you get there. How did that happen for you? Yeah, no, definitely. I I, I think my 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 dad was was probably the, the mentor, um, uh, you know, for me, um, you know, certainly to my early 30s when he sadly passed away but I think from a you know my dad was a laborer um which is you know the basic as the basic jobs come as you know and digging holes and he was proud of it and but he, he what he brought was work ethic and um just a simple philosophy of look you'll get out of life what you put into it and which is so simple, and and that's actually what vexes a lot of people when you say that is you know no it can't be that easy. Well, it, it kind of is, um, but also in my career, I was really lucky. You know, if I kind of jump ahead a little bit into um, you know, I was in the electrical wholesaler. I then got a sales job at a company called Travis Perkins, and um, I got that funny enough because I, I was in a. Um, I got the, I had the interview. I was doing 25 calls a day. So these are physical calls going into offices. And the average sales guy in Travis Perkins did five. And um, so the guy said, Look, you five. I was doing 25. Same. So I, I was, I was all, all the just messing around that, you know, what typical salespeople would do. I just wouldn't do it. So I would, I would be up earlier. Mm. Um, I would, I would get into the meeting. I would cut the meeting short. You know, I've never been one for kind of sitting around chewing the fat with people. Um, so I would kind of, you know, keep the meeting short, sweet, do what I needed to do, get out, move on. And, um, you know, even at that age, and I didn't know it at the time, but that's kind of what I was doing. And I was just optimizing, you know, the results that I could get so I could move on to the next level. And I, I got the job in Travis Perkins, and I, that which is a sales job. But then, quite quickly, because I was willing to just take on responsibility, it's I've never been, and I think this does come from the football side. I've never been fearful of taking a leap and and going. I'm going to back myself to learn the skills I need to learn. So I went into management then, which was a branch manager, uh, youngest branch manager ever in Travis Perkins at that time. So, uh, you know, your average branch manager then was, you know, early uh, to mid 40s uh, in and, you know, into the 50s. I was in my early 20s. And um, so I was like, you know, I'm managing everyone's older than me, uh, mm. but I didn't care. Right. And um, and at that point, these really when mentors kicked in for me, um, 
not in a traditional sense, but or the author, uh, the, the authentic sense. But I, I was exposed through a management program uh, to actually, he's, he's still the CEO of Travis Perkins Group now, a FTSE 100 business, a guy called John Carter um, and uh, some other individuals um, at the board level, senior management level, who really took me into their wing and uh, seen the kind of raw, you know, very, very raw talent and but actual, you know, just sheer hard work. And I would call them and I would ask them for questions and and I would ask, you know, I would basically, you know, uh, be completely open-minded to, look, how do I approach this? How do I approach that? And I was I was very lucky to sit in meetings and board meetings and all of these kind of things that I was exposed to, um, which was probably the best practical MBA mm. um, that you could ever get. Right. And and that for me was probably the the bit that supercharged my career. Without that, then I think um I'd have never got the knowledge of business that the language of business, which I think is so important. I'd have never got to know it, uh, never got to know it, know it because I didn't go to university, I didn't go through the traditional route. So for me that was that was huge. You gotta to wanna to seek it out, haven't you, as well? It's gotta be a key part of your development. I see a lot of young people that, you know, obviously I interview a lot of young people for my business and I've, you know, in past businesses as well. And I've seen people come into the business and you can see the difference is that the one, it's really not what they've learned up until this point is the ones who want to seek out that mentoring and advice that you can really tell that they are hungry for this they want to get in contact they, they know that they've got to get in contact with these people and they just keep working their way towards it like a magnet right they'll get there in the end they'll get that advice and it sort of falls into place doesn't it that that i feel is such an important skill to have because in a way it's like you it's your north star isn't it that you're seeking out this guidance or this mentoring or this advice for people because there is no rule book. There is no way of doing this better apart from, you know, working with somebody and they can sort of help you along the path, right? I think it's so important to have that instilled in you. And really, you know, I, I'm surprised traditional education, I mean, I went to university, that they don't teach you that there. I mean, they teach you certain domain knowledge. But I think the real benefit is you surround yourself maybe with people who have also been trained that. So and I also feel that, you know, it's so important when you look at somebody's career, their trajectory is the people they surrounded themselves with, you know, and the yeah. conscious choice you've made about that. And you make a really interesting point, Lee, which sort of resonated with me about, you know, you don't give a shit what other people feel. To some degree, I mean, you know, that can be nuanced, right? That you have this ability to do what needs to be done as opposed to what's the popular decision, right? Yeah. Um, that is tough i mean you know I, when, when people talk about entrepreneurship i think really that's the nub of it isn't it that you know you can make decisions which are not popularity contests right and i feel people think entrepreneurship's cool but you know are you willing to pay the price in the sense like are you willing to sometimes when you get ahead in life you have to leave people behind right and yeah. these are tough decisions that people make and i think so, oh no i don't want to do that i want to hang out with my mates down the pub on a friday night when you know, like you said, you like 
the other guys were just hanging out. I remember from my example, they would say, oh, come on, it's lunchtime. Let's go and go down the casino because there was a casino near where we worked. I'm like, no, I'm going to go and phone some voicemail boxes. <laughs> That's what I would do. And they think, oh, you sad, get like, you know, get on with it. But you've got to make those tough decisions, right? Knowing inside that you've got to surround yourself with the right people who can support that. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think the 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 interesting thing on mentorship and and, and um, in my own business, and certainly not the earlier businesses, but certainly in this business and the space within, um, you know, I, I, the the kind of philosophy on mentorship. I think there's the the way I was mentored was was brutal, right? You know, um, I, uh, I but I, I kind of because of football, you know, when you're being coached in football. There's no, you know, no one's being nice to you. Um, you know, there's no um, constant pats on the back. You have to have a degree of mental toughness. So when I was in business, for me, I was I was just completely open-minded and um, completely open. And the people I was I was being mentored by were brutal in their feedback to me. And um, and you know, and and I think there's there's, there's a lot of mentorship now for me kind of and this is in my own career why i from you know at one point went into a space of trying to do be a an investor in a lot of businesses and it just didn't work for me because i'm just not that interested in sitting around telling people how great they are and you know and yeah. everything's cool and you're doing everything right and you know just believe in yourself because actually you know what that's probably let's get down to the brass tacks there's probably things you're not doing right you need to get it sorted out and that for me has been natural for me and I, and I think it, the, the, when I see people supercharge their career they have that little bit of mental toughness which can allow them to take I guess a bit more direct feedback um, and they also have the ability to execute so you know you actually give them uh, you know maybe a direction of travel and they actually go and do it which is pretty rare in my experience. Um, mm. So, and I think that's the thing that what we try to do in our own business now is, is, is can we, if we're talking about mentorship, what are we really talking about here? Um, are we talking about a bit of signposting, a bit of support, a bit of guidance, which is all cool. Um, or is it really, you know, you want to do something. So actually let's get down to the more, you know, the more nuanced conversations um, around, you know, uh, more difficult conversations around your work ethic and your approach and your mindset and your attitude and all of these kind of more difficult conversations to have. Um, and I, I was, at that time, I was completely open for that. I wanted it. I, I You know, I seeked it out. Um, but I also took it on board and went and executed against it and mm. got the results. And I think that's massively important. Well, let's talk about some of those results. And then one thing I'm really interested in these leadership conversations is what happens after success, which is almost going back to the idea of champions as well. It's like, you know, can you repeat a success? That's that's the hard part, right? Especially as you sort of progress through your career. So in your business career, success, what would be the equivalent of, you know, winning the the league, the the exit that you had in your career? What was the, not in recent history, but going back maybe a few years, where were the pinnacles in your career? Yeah, the, I think there's been, you know, um, 
key junctures. And I think um, times you can pinpoint signposts that you can look back to. I think um, the you know a key a key one for me was around about two thousand eight. I think from a point of view of where I was, I was I, I was in Travis Perkins. I kind of I'd gone through this super practical MBA and I really understood the language of business. I, I really understood uh, finance, marketing, people management, um, all sorts of things. Uh, and I was extremely lucky um, that my uh, a brother, um, one of my brothers, had set up a business and said, look, you know, why didn't you come? And he'd done really well and, and he got it to a particular point, but wanted to scale it. And I think everything I'd learned before then was about scale. Um, you know, I was doing acquisitions. I was doing, um, you know, uh, buying new businesses and in, in Travis Perkins, I was doing all sorts of things. So I was brought in to, you know, to, to help my brother at the time scale that. And we did it tremendously well, um, phenomenally well in, in, in with a very, very simple, business model um very profitable business model it was uh construction products so specialist yeah. construction products and um well you know that well from travis perkins right? yeah exactly yeah and i, I and what i'd learned at travis perkins is some very simple things like um you know to track business regulations without getting too technical and and that those big business reg- regulations will then you know drive a demand and um in products and so we source products all of the world and we then sold them into the uk and um it was a great business and we, we scale up tremendously quickly we created a group created lots of symbiotic revenue streams which is for me a you know um as part of a business model is 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 vital and we had a very clear operating model or we developed a very clear operating model um and at the time the ambition definitely was to sell right and because everybody wants to sell a business of course, right? That's, but what I'd learned from doing the acquisitions, I understood it didn't work that way and it worked in a very different way than that. So we, we had a twin track approach strategy. Let's, let's develop a business and, um, uh, which, um, is very successful, very profitable. Um, but also has an organizational structure that doesn't manage, that is not, re- you know, uh, doesn't revolve around the founders. Let's put the systems and processes in place let's create a brand so all the core fundamentals and kind of architected um a a purchase of that business by and i actually you know knew who the purchases were going to be and knew how to um attract them and we you know the long long story short we kind of got into a situation um just before the crash where we we sold it to a a FTSE 250 business and um and that was uh, definitely, a, you know, I was early thirty then, so I was, you know, early in my early thirties, and that was a big, it was a big moment um, for about a day, really, if I'm honest, because it a was, day. yeah. Look, I think it, I, I, it. My wife actually says to me, "Look, you know, sometimes, you know, you, 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 you maybe just need to take a step back and uh, and go, you know what." Um, maybe be happy with what you've got or all that kind. But I've never really understood that. Um, I don't. <laughs> I'm laughing because, yeah, I think it's the entrepreneur's disease, isn't it? It's the blessing and the curse. Yeah. Uh, the, the what your energy is the reason, you know, the reason why you're successful is because of that. And, it, you know, you're not happy with being comfortable. It's it's almost as if the 
the success wasn't the the acquisition. The success was, could I do this? You know, could I get it to this stage? And, and going up that curve, isn't it? And then once you've done it, it's like, all right, well, what's next? What do I do now? You know, how do I keep driving myself, right? Yeah, definitely. And I've, look, I've seen, um, I think what, what happens mixing in that kind of environment uh, a lot is um, individuals will, will will scale a business and, um, you know, know, they've worked hard and they kind of maybe then think they now know everything about business and want to now tell everybody else how to run a business. And it's almost a bit of a disease that, and, and, yeah. and because you've done one business um, and scaled it, um, I think that's important. And, and you know, it, it, of course it's, it's good, but um, for me, that wasn't really the direction of travel I wanted to go in. I, for me, it was about, okay, well, what, what can I now do, which I haven't done before? Okay. I've never developed a, a business internationally, right? Ha, ha, okay. That's the next challenge. And mm. let's now try and find an avenue to how to do that. Um, and of course I had the time, you know, when we sold the business, I stayed on for about a year, which was part of the kind of contractual elements. And, uh, but while I was staying on for a year, I was really thinking about the next step. And, um, and that for me was then to develop an international business, which, um, was for me at that time was the, was the next level up. I always think why, why? Because it's the question, isn't it? I mean, your wife probably asked, my wife asked me as well, you know, why do we take that on when most quote unquote normal people would be happy with that success? And that would be enough. Like you've proved yourself now, Lee, right now, time to settle down. And it, it's it's interesting, isn't it? That, that most, all, I think... If I was to name most of the entrepreneurs that have exited a business or had some, what would be called wins through acquisition or, you know, whether they got to business to autopilot and they could live comfortably off it, that they're still working. And it's not, in a, in a way, it's not like how we envisaged it, is it? When you, you sort of think about the dream of starting a business, you're going to grow this business and you're going to sell out and then you're going to sail off into the sunset on the yacht. But so few people actually do that. It's interesting what the driver is, isn't it? It's, it's almost strange, isn't it, that in a, in a way, by doing it, you actually learn what the real motivation is. And it's not the gimmicks and the, you know, the, the doodads that you get with some kind of financial wealth. It's something else, isn't it? It's something a lot more emotional and fundamental that drives us the challenge. Yeah. Or what what about what is it in you? Like you know, when you wake up in the morning and you don't need to do this, surely. No, definitely not. And I haven't done for a long time. Um and you know, the kind of international business, you know, come back to the sales piece, you know, when we set up a business in Dubai, I was the kind of sales guy, right? So I'm jumping on planes. At a minute's notice to you know to, to fly from Dubai uh, to from Manchester to Dubai, um, you know back in the sales role, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you know which and honestly, you know people think what what are you doing this for? You know what, what, what surely that's you know the the you, you're beyond that now. Um, but I think the the, the I, I've, it's took many years for me to understand it, and I think it's a bit like 
you know, why do, you know, uh, trainings and interest in same dynamic is why do I train every day? Why do I constantly push myself and trying to find, you know, what levels can I go to? Because that's actually the bit that I think makes you happy. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's different ways you can um, you can display that and you can manage that. I think what I had to learn is also, you know, gratitude. So I also, I've had to balance, okay, I am grateful for what I have, but that doesn't mean I have to not want to do more. And I think it's what I've got, and certainly in the last 10 years, I'm just much, much more inquisitive about um, the different levels. And every time I find to go to another level, I then find new information, which um, is super interesting. And then understand, okay, there's another level to go to. And mm-hmm. so, it, and it's, it, it's, that's probably the, the, my journey is whether it be fitness, whether it be my, my health, um, all of these things, um, you know, uh, certainly from a business perspective is, you know, l- let's find another level. Um, what, you know, uh, what new things can I learn? What new ideas or concepts can I learn, which would, um, you know, help me in my, um, you know, in, in the business I'm running now or potentially future businesses I may run in, um, into the future. Yeah, it's, uh, I was listening to something that Seth Godin was talking about the other day and he was talking about entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, really what those motivators are, like that whole idea of getting to the, the next level. And, you know, when a lot of people talk about, you know, find your passion, but I think a lot of people generally are misguided as to what that is. It's almost as if, you know, they, they sort of gather other people's ideas about what their passion should be. And yet, you know, the passion could be just challenging yourself. It could just be learning new things. And as Seth Godin said, like, you know, the reward is the game. The reward is getting to play the game. You know, if, if what you do is something you enjoy doing, you're passionate about it, then why would you want to retire from that? The, the goal is to build a lifestyle where you can keep playing the game. And that's the reward, right? That's the reward of what we do. The fact that we can do that, and yeah, there are challenges and there are bad days and just like anything else, there's uncertainty. But, you know, you've made that choice and that's the reward for what you do. And I think that kind of these more so esoteric conversations about entrepreneurship, people don't really have time to think about. They always see the sort of the external part. You've had an exit. You've had an acquisition. Like, why are you now going back to sales? It's well because you love sales. At the end of the day, right? And so, if you could have a job, if you could design a, a setup where you can do that, you know, in your on your terms, and you know, give yourself new challenges on a bigger playing field, then why not? And I feel that that's really, you know, when you look at that sort of trajectory, that's really what it's about, isn't it? That you can play by your own rules, right? You can play by your own terms. And, you know, the the fact that there's sort of stress and resistance along the way is part of it. I was really, you know, just somebody else I'd throw in, I'm sure you're familiar with him, Jocko Willink, the mm. Navy SEAL. That was a great podcast. Um, he was saying that, you know, use the stress to make a better you. 
And I wonder, like, you know, we, we kind of shy away from the stress, don't we? But it seems like, you know, through your journey, you, you've really embraced that. And I wonder if you consciously go out and seek it. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. I think even now and in, in the current times, you know, I, I kind of definitely see myself as a a wartime general. Um, you know, I, I think I'm better in those situations you know it's funny because i I was i was talking to somebody else the other day and he's a he's a ceo of a a very big company and um you know and 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 he 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 often he said to me look there's no way i could do the kind of startup world and um he's always been a, a ceo of a very big company very distant away from the um you know from the from the employees and um, where I, I definitely see myself as a kind of wartime general, you know, this kind of special forces of <laughs> business, right? Um, the SAS of business, and I, another subject I'm fascinated about: special forces, uh, and where you're working in smaller teams. Um, you know, it's it's about being, you know, a, a doer as well as a leader, and that's just more my style. And I think because it does stretch you more. I would love to probably at some point in my career to have a crack at the different type of uh, leader and a much, much bigger business because, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a different skill set and you can appreciate both, but yeah, definitely, uh, you know, p- pushing yourself. And I think that's a little bit of age is a, is a great thing. And um, just to have that kind of, uh, that wisdom, to be able to say, you know what, actually, this is what it's all about for me. Um, I like this. I like pushing myself. I like having to back myself. I like being a decision maker. Um, I want to be the, the, you know, the individual where the book stops. Um, and at situations like, and, 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 and as I said, in, in situations like we're currently in, in the current climate with the current problems, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're the kind of be able to scramble um find a way uh unbelievably resourceful um which you have to be at a smaller business level um to get to become a bigger business these are very very important qualities that i think um you know are are things you develop over time you know you're not born with them uh you Mm -hmm. kind of develop over time from your environment and your kind of mindset love it especially now this is our time isn't it in the sense that i know like people are struggling but if you have these skills, there's far more opportunity out there now. If you're agile and you adopt that sort of ability to get the job done, that, you know, I always think like when I say to people about the current pandemic is that you win by not losing. Hmm. You know, like too many people are thinking about wait until we get out of this thing. Well, there may never be a get out of this thing, right? And yet, a lot of people are in this holding pattern, waiting and waiting and waiting. And yet people like yourselves are getting on. And, you know, if you, if you think in evolutionary terms, the mammals didn't defeat the dinosaurs. You know, they weren't stronger than the dinosaurs. They were just more agile. They just waited for the dinosaurs to die out, you know, and it's just that they kept adapting and kept plugging in away at it. Um, yeah. I mean, talking about special forces, my, dad was in the special forces my dad wow. was in the SB, yeah sbs wow which was yeah i didn't know and like, i didn't it's a funny thing lee is actually you know and i think it's it sort of goes back to 
um, you know, obviously we know people like Jocko Willink and these kind of like high profile special forces people, but he was uh, um, like, you would never know. And I only found out when I was a student, I wanted to borrow his jacket and I rummaged through his, uh, you know, he, he like, when you get to that, there's an age where you get to, he starts like stealing your dad's clothes. Yeah. You're a student, they kind of go back full circle and retro, like a sheepskin jacket. Yeah, I'll wear that. But he had a, a, a green cagoule, like a, it was a boat squadron jacket. And I found it and I said, what's this? And he said, oh, that's my uh, SBS jacket. And that's the only time he ever mentioned it. And it's passed away now, but um, yeah, it's just strange. Like never said anything about it. Wow. Uh, you know, but I think that's the sort of, you know, when you look at him and his life, I mean, he was, he uneducated, dropped out of school at 15, was a farmer, went into the Marines, um, you know, did that all his life until he obviously, you know, he went back to Civvy Street, but, you know, work ethic was huge. You know, he, he would walk to work some days and walking to work meant, you know, like that time, 20 miles, 15 miles, just because he wanted to. It was insane. So I, I sort of like, he never really, he never really sat me down and had those fatherly conversations, son, this is what you need to do with your life. But it was just through example, you know, like just hard work. And it was there, you know, that discipline, he would always polish his shoes every morning without fail. And I think those sort of small touches make for the bigger picture. But yeah, I mean, it's been a, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed this walkthrough with you and just learning a bit about your story, Lee, and just kind of understanding about the man a little bit more. And I, I'm excited as well. We, we've got to talk about podcasting as well, because I think this is the beauty of podcasting is I get this opportunity to be part of your journey for an hour and learn the audience as well. I'm sure they're enjoying it, the listeners. And you are a fan of podcasting yourself. So what does it mean to you? And tell us about the new podcast that you've got coming up. Yeah, well, I, I, th I think, um, and you'll have to tell me more about, well, after I have a, a more of a deeper conversation on that, on your dad being an ESPS, I think that's amazing. I'd, I'd love to know more. Um, but I think, yeah, look, the, 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 I'm a, a, a avid uh a listener to podcasts you know i, I read uh, i don't read books i listen uh, to books and i listen to podcasts and that's how i educate myself and um i read a lot of blogs and that kind of stuff but i think um podcast is something that for me is a perfect way to absorb information i think it's unbelievably uh, the biggest opportunity that we all have uh, to get and listen to some of the you know, the most, uh, whether it be special forces, whether it be, you know, people in business, people in sport and listen to what they, they do and what they've gone through, like you and I kind of doing now and, and do that at kind of no cost is like unbelievable. Right. So the, from an opportunity and that's, that kind of what brought me in. So I thought, okay, I'd like to do my own podcast. And I kind of played around with it in, um, over the last probably 18 months, and uh, experimented with it, which is kind of my way of doing anything. And I then decided, okay, what what do I really, really want to do? And it's kind of bit of a, also a bit of a you know a personal benefit to me is yeah. I, 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 what I'm really interested in is I'm unbelievably inquisitive. So uh, you know to get in front of some people, and this is the idea with the uh, B2B Game Changers podcast uh, that I'm I'm, I'm launching is is to get some in front of some people with some really interest interesting stories concepts ideas um that could be utilized 
in business. And um, so looking at, you know, uh, from academics uh, to entrepreneurs to actually um, I've got planned someone who's in the special forces and, you know, what, how can they, what's the mentality that they have that can be used in business? You know, Jocko Willink has, has done that, you know, transformation really well from being in the Navy SEALs to being in business. And I've read all of his books, probably like you have. And, um, and, 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 you know, people from sport as well, I've got a, an individual coming on who's, um, he's actually an academic at a university, but he's, you know, he's, uh, uh, he's an expert in, um, in, uh, you know, VO2 max and trains some of the most elite athletes that, and runners that have ever been out there. But a lot of the kind of techniques, a lot of the kind of measurement, uh, in particular, um, and the, the strategies that they would employ can actually be employed into business. And actually I'm already doing that, uh, in our own business and you and so using some of these things. So I'm super interested in that. And, uh, and that's what I want to do. I want to bring these people on and, and get into the detail and get into the ideas and kind of challenge ideas and challenge each other, but also, then produce some real high quality show notes, which it becomes a bit of a resource. So, uh, and that's the that's the aim, and I, I'm super excited about it. And um, you know, just from a, some of the people we're going to speak to, and but also some of the content that I think we'll produce. Well, I'm excited about it too. It sounds interesting already. I mean, it's kind of people you've got coming on. I love that the fact you've got that diversity as well. You know, that, that sort of gives you that perspective like rather than just having a, a niche i know it's b2b and obviously your space is marketing and sales but ultimately you've got to look at it from many different angles and yeah b2b game changers looking forward to that we'll put our links to that in the show notes that's lee hackett everybody blueprint x being a real privilege to have enjoyed this conversation with you lee and uh you know um, let's have more. Let's get Lee back on. Best way to reach you, Lee. I mean, obviously, some of my listeners here would be interested in, obviously, your podcast. So we'll, we'll send them that way. But generally, people who want to be in contact with you, what's the best channel for you? Yeah, LinkedIn. Um, put my name into LinkedIn, Lee Hackett, Blueprint X. I'll come up. Uh, I'll put it into Google. And, um, you know, I'm pretty open on my settings there. You can ping me an email or a message through LinkedIn. It's, you know, it's the kind of channel I'm really focusing on. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the best way to, to get me. Great. Lee, thank you so much today. No, great. Appreciate it. Thanks for being, uh, for inviting me back on and, um, and talking through this stuff. So really appreciate it. You've been listening to the XL podcast with me, Graham Brown to subscribe and discover more conversations. Go to www.xlpodcast.org.